Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. And I am speaking today with Dr. Brooke Jackson, who is actually located across the country from me in California. It's really great to have you talking to me today. So nice to be with you. Uh, can I call you Brooke? Please. Brooke, you have been, um, you've had a strong connection to art for many, many years. You actually have a background in textile art. You've been, um, you've done art with art therapy with children. I mean, it's really woven itself throughout your professional and personal life. Um, when did this all start? Um, well, I have to say it's just been a part of who I am. Um, I have always been drawn to people who make art and I'm very attracted to the poetics uh, that it inspires and evokes. So art has always been really important to me. And although I am not really an artist, it is something that I hold very dear and I'm inspired by it. Have you, um... You've, you've made a lot of kind of pivots and shifts in your life. You've, you've had a, <laughs> yes, you have a very impressive um, resume. You have been educated in multiple different areas, um, including most recently going back to school and um, getting your credentials in psychotherapy. That's right. Yeah. I have a, uh, my, uh, my doctoral degree in psychology and that was taken on later in my life and was such a good decision. It really brought all the threads together. Well, tell me about those threads. How would you describe the threads of your life? Uh, well, I, I've done so many different things. You know, I've lived in different parts of the country. I've worked in various um, settings, including educational settings. I worked in a law firm for 10 years. Uh, I've done a lot of different things. And as I am at this point in my life and also working with many times older adults who are also doing life review, trying to make sense of where all of their paths have brought them, it's been so wonderful to be able to draw on my life experiences. So that's really where it has all come together and makes so much sense. You also have a background in environmentalism and gardening. I do. Gardening is an on. I have a lovely garden I'm looking out at right now in my little tiny backyard. <laughs> but it's been important to me all my life. I, I sometimes mark my life by what garden am I in? How many more gardens do I have left? So tell me about the garden that you're currently in. The garden that I'm in right now is small, which is perfect because I actually have time to be out there. And um, I grow roses because I live in a climate that gets nice and hot in the summer. And uh, flowers. And it's just a very lovely, restful place to be in. So that's been one of the benefits of being at home during this time of COVID is that I've been able to step out into the garden and be free. I know that one of the things that um, 
my family medicine patients and I connect on is actually gardening. It's a, it's a place of commonality. So this time of year, my patients, because of course in Maine, our climate is different. They're just starting to put seedlings in the ground. You know, they've, they have their sets of cucumbers that they've been growing inside. And it really, it does feel like almost a, a sense that life goes on, that there's some hope that we're going to, we're going to move through this and come to the other side eventually. That's right. That some things are ongoing. Now, tell me about um, transitioning for you from being in practice in person to doing all of your work out of your home and doing it virtually through telehealth. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is gratitude that I was able to continue my work. So I work with some of my patients are really kind of fragile. And it was unsettling to think, wow, what am I going to do? So um, when it became clear that we could all move into telehealth to provide service, it was it was just so incredibly wonderful. It's been really hard to adjust to the screen. Um, I've even started with clients now on the screen. I've never met them in person. That's been a really interesting experience. So sometimes I describe it as having to make it more like Kabuki theater where everything gets big. We have to really, you know, move into the screen to make a point or to connect. Um, but it's, it's actually gone really well. And for some of the people I work with, what's been fascinating is that for those who've had trouble either physically being able to leave their home to get to therapy or to emotionally have the wherewithal to do that, it's in some ways this time has leveled the playing field. So they feel now that everybody knows how they feel. And it's actually made it so easy for them to avail themselves of the therapy that they need. One of the things that uh, you had mentioned to me was that you miss your colleagues, that you actually miss being with the people that you're in practice with. How's that been for you? Well, that's been really hard. I mean, I, I supervise two psychological assistants right now. And sometimes we meet like this and sometimes we meet on the phone, but I literally have not seen them for a year. And that's just been, it's been painful. I, you know, um, the people, and I'm a part of a consultation group and we meet in Zoom online. And thankfully we have that, but it's not the same. So definitely been a, an adjustment. I know that one of the things that we did during, especially during the beginning of COVID when nobody was going anywhere, and especially with some of our older and more fragile patients, is we would just call them to check in and make sure that there wasn't anything that they needed, make sure they knew that they weren't alone, maintain that sense of connection. Um, are you hearing a lot about that from your clients, That's that sense of connection is important? I have been hearing so much about that, and especially older people who have been particularly at risk, not being able to be with their families and grandchildren, especially, has just been a theme. Um, so it's been a very difficult time. And 
also the other thing that's been happening here in California is that we've really been ravaged by fire. Every year we've had these terrible wildfires. So um, I've now, I now have multiple people in my practice who have lost their homes. So in this last year, we had fires from the south, we had fires in the north. And so in addition to COVID, you know, people are choking. Um, the air has been really bad. And um, one of my strongest memories of this last year was that I had purchased a painting from the gallery and it arrived. And when I opened it up, it was literally like getting to take big gulps of fresh air in. It really had that effect. It was wonderful. So, you know, it's been a time of a lot of grief, a lot of letting go of the way things used to be, not knowing how we're all going to re-enter and what that will look like. Um, and balancing that with something like this painting where I had that experience of, oh, I can breathe again. Yeah, that's, you raise a really interesting point because I think obviously COVID has been, uh, has impacted all of us, but not all of us have been impacted by these external um, forces of fire. And I think that sense that for an even an additional reason, you're kind of forced to stay inside your home. And it's a matter really of being able to continue to breathe and stay alive. So one thing I've noticed with patients of mine in my family medicine practice is that when they aren't, especially older patients, when they don't have the connection, when they don't have the stimulation, when they aren't able to get out and do what they normally do, it actually causes them to have challenges with things like memory. And it causes them to, um, I see kind of a decline in their cognitive function, their ability to kind of pull thoughts together. Is that something you've seen with your clients? Yes, I have. Um, for some of them, I have one older client who gets to live with her family. Um, I'm working with uh, a couple. And so they've been literally in total lockdown for a year together. So their relationship has also had to stretch in new ways. Uh, but yes, I have seen definitely people just having more difficulty tracking um, depression, having a much more profound impact on interrelationship. So it shows up in the therapeutic relationship and it offers something to work through. You're, you're, you're saying something that makes a lot of sense, that it's, it's simultaneously very challenging, but also offers an opportunity. It's something that does allow people and uh, people in relationship to stretch. That's right. I am known as the quintessential silver lining miner. <laughs> I go looking for them. So I have seen this time as really being so rich with opportunity. Um, and it's really how I keep my own practice alive and enlivened. You know, I look for those things and help my clients look for them too. You uh, spent some time when you were younger in Germany with your family, um, and you ended up coming back to California in part because you had a pretty significant family uh, trauma, I would say. It was absolutely, it's a great way of describing it. 
Um, so do you think that having that past experience with um, really dealing with something that caused you to stretch, you know, even those many years ago, do you think that has led to your ability to continue to stretch now and to see things with the silver linings? Well, I've had so many life experiences by now. I'm, you know, I'm sort of cresting a, a very important milestone. And um, so, yes, I'm sure that that's all layered in there. Um, I think all of our life experiences feed us in a certain way and really allow us to create a new lenses constantly for the experiences that we're having. So I'm sure that that early experience definitely challenged me. And I was always a pretty sensitive and I would say a poetic child. So I took things in very deeply. Um, and uh, so I, I know that it must have had some impact on me, but everything has. So hard to know what was more impactful than something else. You, you spent quite a few years uh, working in the legal field, which seems like it would be very different from the type of work that you're doing now. So different. And it was really a sort of an accidental matchup because I had moved uh, to Seattle and I you know, needed to work and I found a job and suddenly I was being promoted and I was staying with the job and I had grown up. My dad is an, uh, was an attorney and so I was pretty familiar and comfortable and at ease with people who use language in a certain way and move about the world in a certain way. And it really afforded me an opportunity to do some of the things that I've wanted to do. I wanted to buy a little home and fix things up and it allowed all of that to happen. But it was definitely not who I was at heart. Um, I was not going to go to law school. So there was just, you know, I was doing a lot of exploring. And I'll be honest, there were times when I'm sure my family was just ripping their hair out saying, what is she going to end up doing? So everybody's happy about things now, but I think it took a while for me to really grow into my, my, my current path. It's so interesting that you're describing this and the family concerns, because honestly, the first thing I thought when I looked at your background and looked at the variety of experiences that you've had and the fact that you went and pursued this additional education, um, within the last, you know, 15 years, uh, was, wow, what, what an interesting person, you know, that, that she was able to give herself the space to follow these paths to kind of the next path. And I don't think that's something that everybody feels comfortable giving themselves the space to do. Well, I felt compelled and I think my family was concerned you know, my parents, I was, I'd left school, you know, I mean, I really left school. Um, I kept returning to school and chipping away at things, but I was leading a life that I felt pulled into. And so there were, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there were times when it was really challenging to trust 
that I was doing things that were enriching me and were genuine directions. They weren't just accidental. So, yeah, I feel really, I feel so fortunate that my life experiences have unfolded as they have. It does take a certain amount of strength and belief in oneself to kind of acknowledge other people's concerns and also move forward on one's own path. I mean, that, that is not easy to do. There are a lot of external influences that, that can, as you say, kind of pull you in a direction. How do you think that you had that strength or what did you draw upon so that you kept going? I have amazing parents <laughs> and um, even though they weren't always very happy with what I was doing, I think they always believed in who I was as a person. And I always had, you know, their emotional support at core. And I had good friends that I maintained um also this love of art and of writing and books and all of these all of these pieces of my life have really been there all along the way so it's interesting when you start to talk about your love of art and books it's almost i can actually see you physically kind of come alive again. I could see your hands actually start to move again. And they were moving in the Kabuki theater reference. So, so there is something that's kind of deeply inside of you that is, is like, here I am, I'm coming out. And, and it seems like your ability to tap into that is really pretty integral to who you are. I think you're so right. Yeah. Thank you for noticing that. So you've, uh, I'm looking back through some of the art that you've been interested in, just happening to know the relationship you have with the art gallery. Um, I know that you have at least, I think, one or two pieces by William Crosby, and um, there are a couple of pieces behind me that are his style of art, um, which is kind of landscape, more abstract, very rich colors. Uh, but you also have Sheep Jones, and hers is a very different style. Um, you also have Missy Dunaway, and that kind of takes you in a different direction. So some people will go entirely with one style, and other people will be more eclectic. And, and you seem to be the latter. You know, my relationship with the gallery started with uh, William Crosby because I had found one of his small pieces here at a uh, Sonoma County Art Gallery. And I wanna also just back up and say that when all of this started, I really felt, I really had to, I, I wanted, I felt so grateful that I was able to work and I knew how much of a struggle some people were going to be in. So I really consciously made a decision. I'm going to support artists and I'm going to support independent bookstores and I'm going to continue to support the Marine Mammal Center and the SBCA. I mean, I just, I had my list. And so um, in that initial reaching out to galleries through the virtual world, I found a piece by Crosby and I was looking for another one. 
and I stumbled onto the gallery and it was in Maine and I had this relationship with Maine and I think Kevin was the person I talked to when I wanted to initiate purchase and he was so kind and friendly and grateful and it was it was just a really nice beginning of that connection so um you're right I I think I'm moving more into the abstract arena uh, but there are parts of my home that um, are devoted to nature and Missy's work really, you know, her beautiful feather paintings and really exquisite, loving attention to all those details has really um, been so lovely to live around. Tell me about your love of books. As somebody who loves loves books also, and, and really, I feel very passionately about books. I, I can't, I go through books like I'm drinking water. So, and, and you have a lot of, obviously, you have a lot of um, things on your shelf behind you, books and other things. Tell me about your, um, tell me what you like to read. Well, right now, I mean, I have to say just because of my work, I read a lot of books about psychology. And that was one of my pulls into the field is that I could continue to learn and grow and expand for the rest of my life. It's not a finite field, you know, it just keeps building. So I, I'm reading a lot of books about psychology and I had just finished a course, an online course on Carl Jung and his theories and Last year, I um, had I completed a course on psychoanalytic theory and the body. So I've been reading a lot in those areas. And I also really appreciate and like to read um, books about real things like nature. And um, I'm reading, right now I'm reading books about Indian basketry. And, you know, so I have a pretty broad taste. I'm not a big fiction reader right now. Maybe it's because I feel like life is so short and it gets shorter and shorter the further along I go and I just want to learn more and more. But books are, are really important to me. I recently read a book, I believe it's called The, the Body Keeps Score. And oh, Vanderpoke. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I know that book well. That's a really good. He's one of our most gifted clinicians around trauma. And and so I think there's a lot of crossover between the work that you and I each do because I I do believe that in our bodies whether we realize it kind of um cognitively or not we do uh, continue to hold on to things that have occurred to us in the past and sometimes kind of un uh, tangling what those things have led to is an interesting challenge because it's something that takes us beyond our mind and our thoughts. Absolutely. And, you know, some of my work is getting people to reground into their physical selves. And I've had people say, why are you asking me about my health? I thought we were talking about this. And I have to explain that we're all just one person, you know, so your health is going to affect your psyche and your psyche is going to affect your health. So it's, 
um, I agree, it's really integrated. We're fully integrated systems here. And I have the opposite experience where I have a patient who will come in and tell me about uh, their health and I'll ask them, well, what happened to you uh, last September when your blood pressure started to go up? And, and they'll say, well, um, my aunt passed away and I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to her because of COVID. And it really, um, it kind of broke my heart. But that's not a medical thing. That's an emotional thing. And they'll say this to me as if it is disconnected. So it's interesting to kind of um, uh, pull that out a little bit without actively re-traumatizing someone. Right. Yeah, it, it really is. Trauma work is very delicate and um, so many people need it. And I think that um, more and more people will need it as we come out of this pandemic because I believe that we probably will be experiencing trauma both um, kind of personally but also as a culture um, in ways that we don't quite understand yet. What do you think? I completely concur. I can see it happening already. You know, there's re-entry can, isn't, doesn't feel exciting to everybody. It's fearful. You know, we now have completely new ways and different ways of being with each other. Uh, we have to stay apart. We have to wear a mask. Um, people seem more dangerous, you know, for health reasons than ever. So I think you're right. I mean, I think that there's, there's a lot to anticipate going forward. And at the same time, I've noticed in my patients, they're really, many of them um, are craving touch, especially people who are touch oriented. So I'll have older people and I haven't known them very long because I haven't been in my current practice very long, but they'll say, I can't wait until I can give you a hug. It, and it's so, it's heartbreaking in a way, really, because you know that despite their fear over contracting COVID, they just really want that, that, that physical connection to someone. That's right. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's been one of the most profound uh, difficulties of this time is people having to separate from one another. And it's the antithesis of what we, what we want when we're feeling blue and low. We want that connection. You do have a, you have a 30 year connection to Moosehead Lake here in Maine? Yes, yes. So um, I think I mentioned in some notes to you that my family started traveling to Maine uh, when I think I was four, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14 years old, we would come in the summer and we'd come from California, we'd drive. It was always kind of a long family drive. And, um, and my parents uh, really loved Maine. My dad was an attorney in San Francisco and for a while really entertained, like leaving it all behind, becoming a writer in the Northwoods and you know, he really, he, he's probably the role model that I base my adventuring on. But um, that never did happen. But the trips continued. 
And then I kind of dropped out of those trips and my parents and my younger brother continued. And then about, about 30 years ago, just before my nephew was born, my brother and mother were in Maine looking for a piece of property to buy that they, they really wanted a place to bring family. And they found this incredible falling apart log lodge right on the edge of Moosehead Lake. And it had just gone into foreclosure. It was about to go to auction. I mean, it was like kind of a miraculous find. And so we all traveled to Maine to look at it and to participate in that auction. And my mother was able to obtain that property, which, and my brother, who was an architect, really was, you know, he, he was able to restore it so beautifully. So it's now a gathering place for family. Um, his family and my mother will be traveling there in just a few weeks actually, and um, to open it for the season. It's just a summer place. It's not really winterized, but there's nothing like it there. You know, the sound of the wings and the sound of the lake and the people in that town of Greenville, it's just been a wonderful and huge addition to our lives. And I got to know Portland because in the part of my life when I had dogs and would bring them with me, um, fly them, we'd always fly into Portland, you know, get out and, or on the way back from Moosehead, going back home, we'd come into Portland, the dogs would get to go out and play, you know, we'd walk along the waterfront. And it's just such, um, such a wonderful place. I love Portland. Do you think that there is um, something healing about coming to Maine and, and possibly is this something that will cause people as the pandemic um, hope, hopefully eases away from us, will seek out? I do. I think more and more people are, are because they've been uh, unfettered from their desks, you know, they don't have to do their work from home. They can really, many people can work anywhere they want to. And so why not work in a place where there's space and air to breathe and, um, you know, wilderness to be in? Um, I think that absolutely can happen. And I know that, you know, I, I always think of landscape as, it's almost becomes like a tattoo, an inner tattoo. So that when you're with it, you feel so familiar. You feel so like part of you. And I think Maine has been like that for everyone in my family. Hard, it's hard to, to leave Maine. It's something we take inside of us wherever we go. Brooke, is there... Um, anything that you would recommend to people who are listening to our conversation who may be struggling with um, coming back out of COVID and trying to reconnect with the greater world based on the work that you do? Well, everybody is so different. It's really hard to make a generalized statement, but I would really encourage people to not be afraid to talk about their feelings and to um, 
if they've thought about uh, having a therapist as being sort of a sign of weakness or disability or anything like that, to just put that aside and to really take the courageous step of connecting with somebody who can hold with you the feelings you're having, can help you understand the comp the complexity of the feelings you're having and partner with you as you move back into the world. So the idea is to connect. Do you think that art could in any way be a part of that? I think art for me has absolutely been a part of that. Yes. And I'm not sure what, I think the gallery is open so if people live in, in this area, you know, to, to, to walk through the gallery or as I do, take a virtual walk through the gallery every Friday afternoon. Um, it's been such a, a lovely ritual for me, this connection to this gallery and to being part of this online community of artists and people who are talking about ideas and art. It's been really lovely. Well, I appreciate you're taking the time out of your very busy schedule of caring for people out in California, and I've enjoyed my conversation with you today. I've been speaking, um, my pleasure, I've been speaking with Dr. Brooke Jackson, who is located out in California, and she is a lover of art and sounds like really an artist herself in, in many different realms, and I, I really... Um, I'm so grateful to you for continuing to uh, help take care of uh, our community. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's just been such a pleasure to talk to you today.